Today's episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast is brought to you by the Bone Collector North American Whitetail Championships. The championships is a first of its kind, and it was created for the everyday whitetail deer hunter. Broken up into 14 regions across America and Canada, you can qualify for the championships for your chance to win $50,000. It's only $300 per man to enter, so it's a no-brainer, guys. If you have a bow and you have some arrows and you take pride in your archery and you love chasing whitetail deer across America and Canada, check them out at nawtc.com or the bonecollector.com website and get details to get signed up now. Again, the North American Whitetail Championships brought to you by Bone Collector, Michael Waddell, all of his crew out there supporting it. It's the first of its kind. It's going to be awesome. You guys are going to love it. Get signed up. Let's make this one for the ages, and let's continue it for many years to come. The Bone Collector North American Whitetail Championships, thank you very much for being a partner here at This Life Ain't For Everybody. everybody out there another episode of this life ain't for everybody and i'm proud and honored to have the woman sitting across from me today i have not known her very long up until yesterday i only knew this lady through some emails messaging that were um you know coming at us from a a group email that uh, were geared towards a hunt that we were going to participate in with her family and it was a little bit uh, of a different story one that really touched me one that will touch anybody that that uh, hears it and we got involved um, back in the beginning of 2018 with this idea and we started putting it together and it just started coming into fruition. So as we get into the story, you guys will learn more of the details on it, but it's one of those things to where life can sneak up on you. Life can throw curveballs at you, road bumps, and it's all about adversity and tenacity and determination and how you're going to, you know, fight your way through different things in life because life is, life is never easy, but when you get something that happens like it did to Michelle and her family it's uh, it goes to a different level of difficulty and and needing those attributes like I just described in 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 tenacity and determination so well, I want to talk with with this lady today. You you guys will get to know her and her journey and what what has been going on since uh, the calendar year of 2013. So almost six full years right now. At the end of this year, it'll be six full years since this went down. And I'm honored to know her. Um, we've developed a cool friendship pretty quick. Her husband John, her her son Grant, like I mentioned before, and her daughter Alyssa are with me right now in Oklahoma with Flatline Outfitters, experiencing Canada goose hunting, mallard duck hunting and um, we're hoping for the best on that but uh, if, if the hunt doesn't happen if we don't get a lot of good results in hunting which we I know we will but if we don't it's nothing compared to to what she's faced and battled for the last six years so we'll we'll talk about what what's going on but Miss Michelle thank you very much for being here thank you Michelle's from Louisiana so uh, what part you're from northern would it be considered northern, northern Louisiana? Louisiana that's Monroe mm-hmm, I mean, Monroe been, we're about 20 minutes Side of Monroe. Side of Monroe. Yeah. I've been there quite a bit. I've been there with, uh, you know, Duck Commanders there, which everybody knows mm-hmm. Duck Dynasty. And then Mojo's there. Mr. Terry Denman started Mojo in 1999 yes. in Monroe and West Monroe. And then um, Honey Break, a, a bunch of our good friends, is south of you a little bit, probably another hour. And they have a, a, a tremendous hunting lodge and destination there for Louisiana mm-hmm. duck hunting. So. I love Louisiana. The main thing that I know about Louisiana that I've learned, and I learned this through traveling through 
hunting camps all over. Like a lot of Cajuns will come to hunting camps in Canada. They'll go to Kansas. They'll go experience different things because the duck season, Cajuns that love to duck hunt or Louisianans that love to duck hunt don't get to start duck hunting until late November Mm -hmm. when a lot of other seasons are already open. So they'll travel to get, you know, to get their fix before that opening day there. And what happens is they bring their entire, um, how could I say it? They bring their entire culinary um, expertise to all of these different camps, meaning that when you go to camps that Cajuns attend, you're going to get a taste of Louisiana. And mm-hmm. I've done it so many times, Michelle, where I stand around and watch a guy. I'm sorry about that. I had to sneeze, but I watch a guy. Uh, I watch a guy stand over a pot of gumbo for hours and get his roux right, and then add the duck meat and the goose meat and whatever else sausages and whatever else he's putting in it. The boudins and people have heard me talk about it on the Foul Life. They've heard me talk about it on this podcast right here. But I love the culinary, the food, the socialization that comes with the food in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Um, are you and your family into it like that? Yes, yes. When um, I know we're going to get into Grant's story, but. When Grant got sick and we were at the Ronald McDonald house, my outlet for scanxiety, which is a word um, the St. Jude families use, is right before scan time um, to see what's going on. And my big thing was to cook. I would feed 20 to 30 people every time I cooked. Really? <laughs> yeah, I would do. I did gumbo one time. I did breakfast for supper one time, tacos. But that was my outlet to release my stress before scan day. And so everybody knew if Grant's scan day was coming up, Michelle was fixing to fix a big old meal of at least feed 20 to 30 people and stuff. So yeah, we do the whole big, we don't know how to cook small. You don't know how to cook small. I don't. So when you're, when you're from Northern Louisiana though, or, you know, the Monroe area, do you still cook a lot of Cajun foods? Is that, is that Cajun flair up in that area? To a point. Did you grow up cooking? Do you cook gumbos and roux? I do. I cook gumbos and roux, jambalayas, gravies all that kind yes, of stuff right i do everything and i try to do it all from scratch so is that not considered cajun or is that just considered to all over louisiana i think that's an all over louisiana thing cajun more so we talk about cajun as doing your own boudin and you know different types of uh, they put a little more i don't know how to say it different types of food into things like there's things that i won't eat up north that they eat down south yeah like uh like hearts and gizzards of coop ducks yeah, and, yeah. And, I don't, mean, don't cajuns, do the cajuns kill something they're they gonna eat, eat everything every piece of it's gonna be which is pretty yes. cool concept it is it it's is. a really cool concept mm-hmm. i've had some food down there like you know louisiana is probably known for crawfish broils mm-hmm. their cajun flair of gumbos and gravies and etouffees and all of that stuff their seafood yes. but crawfish broils and i've been in some awesome ones with terry Demon and, and mojo in, in the monroe area mm-hmm. and we were talking with you and your husband yesterday about how he was telling me how he would instead of sucking all the heads out of the crawfish, he would use that the he would break the head and he would squirt it on his French on bread. On his French bread, yeah. And then eat the French bread. And I'm like, wow, I would never even consider doing that. Yep. And I, but he says the flavor that it adds with with the with the all already the flavors with the garlic and the butter and the mm-hmm. French bread, it, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So with the crawfish broil, you usually have, you know, crawfish, red potatoes, artichoke hearts, um, corn on the cob, sausages, asparagus, you said yesterday, Brussels sprouts. Yeah, and sometimes we put chicken breasts um, in there. They'll cook up because some people don't always eat crawfish. So you try to have like a little combination of other things that people might would want to get the spice. Um, We do, like you said, the corns. We've done the Brussels sprouts, mushrooms. 
we've tried just about anything and everything that you could put in it to see how it would hold up. <laughs> right. And, and when, where I'm going with that cooking deal is that mo, mo, that cooking is done with friends and family all yes. the time. It's a social event. It's, of course, it tastes good. The mm-hmm. recipes are amazing. There's a lot of home homemade stuff. But it's a lot of social. A lot of social event. Cold beer drinking, uh, yes. tailgate parties, yes. concerts, um, fireworks, Fourth of yes. July holidays, and, and and a lot of people in Louisiana don't need an excuse to get together. It's just like a neighborhood just block there. party all the time, yeah. right? Yeah. It's nothing to have twenty people show up at the house on a Wednesday night and have. It's it's all about friends and family in that part of the country. Yeah. And that's what I've really learned about Louisiana is that they do it right. They do yeah. it big time. They don't yeah. cut corners when they throw it. I know Miss Shelley at Honey Break, when she cooks a meal, it's like to the to the T, you know, that it's going to mm-hmm. be legit. So with that being said, you you have this unit, this family, this mm-hmm. you have a husband, you have a daughter, you have a son, you have, you know, at the time, Alyssa's uh, she's she's what she's eight when this happens nine, nine. Yeah. she's nine years old and grant's six he's a normal six-year-old boy running around he had just turned seven he had just turned seven just turned and seven. you and john are in your i'm gonna i don't want to ask but you're somewhere we in, in your, our 30s you're in your 30s yeah when this happens and you 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 have a, a daughter that's active she's an outdoorsy girl she drives boats and four-wheelers and utvs and shoots guns and fishes and and they're talking about ripping lips in the bass boat with daddy john yesterday and and you have grant who's playing football at the time and he's hunting and fishing he's just a normal seven-year old no. kid mm-hmm. running around Louisiana yep eating crawfish loves crawfish loves shrimp yes and then one day he you you get a uh, a message from him where he comes to you and says he has a headache mm-hmm. he had been saying a headache for about two weeks off and on in the afternoons um but we had thought it could be other things you know and he had had a sinus infection some other issues uh and we just thought okay you know, it's just normal. Maybe his eyes are getting bad. Well, the weekend before he got sick, and here goes the family thing. My mom, my sister had been staying at my house um, and her children because uh, it was right before Thanksgiving. And um, we had all been visiting, and my mom had come to pick up my sister and her girls to take them to her house for a little while. And uh, Grant didn't get up off the floor. Um, and usually if Grammy shows up, it's we're running after Grammy. Um, we're hugging Grammy, you know, hey, Grammy, excited and stuff. Well, he didn't do that. And my mom and I kind of looked at each other and I said, he just hasn't been feeling normal lately. And she said, well, you know, what do you think it is? I said, I really don't know. So we started doing some research online. And um, when she got ready to leave that evening, he didn't get up off Alyssa's floor. He just laid there like he was just tired. And he said, I just don't feel like going out to say bye. I said, okay. Um, and then Monday morning, he woke up at 4 o'clock throwing up. And I asked him, I said, baby, what's wrong? He said, I just don't feel good, Mama. He said, my tummy don't feel good and my head hurts a little bit. I said, okay, well, when the doctor's office opens, I'll take you in to see the doctor. He said, okay. So we went, um, he and I stayed up from about, 4.30, I went and laid down with him, and we kind of dozed off and on, but as soon as 8 o'clock rolled around, 8.30, I called our doctor's office and told him what was going on, and we had been fighting some issues with nausea and vomiting anyway. He's always been a kid to throw up a lot, if that makes sense, and um, so anyway, when I got him to the doctor, um, our pediatrician's office, we walked in, and uh, they got him right back, and she said she asked the normal questions, what's going on? And I simply asked her, "What it, does my child have a brain tumor, abdominal tumor? She looked at me like I was crazy. Michelle, why would you think that? And I said, my gut's just telling me something's not right with my baby. 
And she said, okay. She said, that's all I need to know. She's like, so she started doing all these checks on him in the office and decided that we would go in for an MRI um, Wednesday. My other child was supposed to be having a tonsillectomy that day. Um, so I told her, I said, just be sure you schedule it at the same facility, but we can do that. Well, by Monday night, which was November 25th, Grant had been, we had gone back home and he had thrown up on the way home and he just kept saying he was tired. So we went and laid back down, took us a nap. And I got up about 3 o'clock, and he didn't want to get up out of bed. He wanted to just lay there and sleep. So I let him sleep. His grandmother, his great-grandmother came over, gave him some ice cream. He did get up and eat it. Um, Shortly after that, he got sick again and went and laid back down. And uh, by 9 o'clock that night, I was pacing the house. I was like, something's just not right. My gut's just telling me something's wrong. He's not wanting to get up. He's not wanting to watch TV. And he loves cartoons. He loves TV. Something's just not right. So I went and got John and I had him come check on him too. And he asked him, he said, buddy, what's wrong? And he said, my head hurts. John said, well, you haven't watched TV or anything. And he said, no, he said, every time I open my eyes, my head hurts, daddy. And I looked at my husband and I said, okay, it's time to go to the emergency room. I'm not playing with this anymore. So we took off, um, dropped Alyssa off at the great-grandparents, which is just right across the street from us pretty much, um, and we went on to Monroe. And we got into Monroe, got into the emergency room. He slept the whole way there. Um, We went back. They did his triage, you know, blood checks, blood pressure checks, all this stuff. And as we were getting up to walk out, he stumbled a little bit. And they said, has he done that before? And I said, nope. But I said, he's been asleep to all day. So that doesn't surprise me that he didn't see the stand standing there and he tripped over it. So they got him on back to the emergency room to the doctors. Two doctors came in, looked him over. They both explained to me that they really thought it was cluster migraines. That's the only thing that made sense at this point. But they would go ahead and do a CT scan of his brain. I said, okay, let's get that done. So we did. We went in and we got a a CAT scan. Um... Shortly after that, I had stepped out and left John in the room with Grant, and I walked out because some of my family had gotten to the hospital. My sister and my mom had come to the hospital just to check on us, and um, I was talking to them, and John walked out, and he said, the doctor needs to see us, and he needs to see us now, and I said, okay. This is at the ER? This is at the emergency room. So as we were at the emergency room, we went back into the doctor, and the doctor looked at me, and he said, you're going upstairs. He said, he's going to pick you. And I said, okay, why are we going to pick you? Now, I worked in a hospital, so I had some hospital background. Um, I had worked as an admissions clerk in the ER and stuff. I said, why are we going to pick you? I was like, you know, this doesn't make sense. Did something show up on his scan? And they wanted to tell me that he was dehydrated and that he just needed to go upstairs. And I said, well, I know better than that. I'm not crazy. I worked for y'all. I do know a little something. And he explained to me that they were, that our pediatrician who was not on call and a neurosurgeon were on their way all he could tell me was that grant was dehydrated and he had an abnormality in his brain and i said all right that's all you need to tell me take us upstairs we but, got you, but you knew with the pediatrician not being on call that he <clears throat> yeah, wouldn't be coming I knew in. there was something really yeah and i was like neurosurgeon doesn't just show up at 11 o'clock at night either um, for something he can check on the next day. And the pediatrician who's not on call is not going to get up out of bed to necessarily come to one of his patients unless there's really something wrong. So we got upstairs. Um, Fortunately, I knew a lot of the employees there at the hospital. 
So we got upstairs, and um, within a couple of hours, the doctor came walking in, and he pulled us into this awful waiting room um, office, and I told him I'll never want to step back in that office again because <laughs> it's never good news in there. But um, And he just flat out told us that Grant had a tumor in his brain. He was not 100% sure what it was yet. He had a good idea because he had done this for so many years, but that we would get an MRI tomorrow, and he would... Um, he would get an MRI and then he would uh, inform us a little more information tomorrow. Well, needless to say, I didn't sleep any of that night. Um, it was horrible. Um, hearing your child has a brain tumor is not an easy thing and not knowing exactly what it is. And I guess being a mom, you get that gut feeling, that gut instinct. I kind of knew it wasn't good. So we, John and I, sat together that night and uh, talked and cried and you know had our emotional issues at that point and um let our emotions just go and the doctor did tell us he said one thing you don't do is do not cry in front of your son so anytime we got upset we had to walk out grant um slept that day come to find out the reason he was sleeping so much that day is because he had too much fluid on his brain um doctor did inform us that if we had not gotten to the emergency room when we did we might not have grant today so that was number one of like, wow, this is really, really bad. Um, so we got through that, and he told us Tuesday after the MRI that there, that we were going to go ahead and do brain surgery, but it would be Friday. It would be after Thanksgiving. And I said, okay, that's fine. He come back later Wednesday afternoon, and he said, I mean, Tuesday afternoon, and he said, I don't feel comfortable leaving this. He's like, I'm taking him in for surgery tomorrow morning. Be prepared. I said, okay, and stuff. And a lot of things had led up to all this, too. Um, but anyway, my brother had just come in from, my brother was in the Marine Corps, and he, I called him immediately, and he had just gotten home from Jerusalem. <laughs> and he and I had been doing some praying just out of the blue to, for each other throughout this, before all this happened. And so I called him after, you know, we found out that Grant was having brain surgery. He drove in from North Carolina, he and his kids, um, and met us at the hospital the morning of surgery. Um, we had a lot of our family come together. Um, aunts, uncles, grandparents, the whole nine yards were all at the hospital with us. Um, our doctor took Granny in about nine, I think, that morning. I think it was around nine. And none of the family was allowed to sit upstairs with us. We had to sit up and pick you uh, waiting room by ourselves. Um, he said just because, he said he didn't mean it ugly, but if there's bad news, family does not make this easier. And stuff, too many emotions get put into a pile. So we were like, okay. But we would walk downstairs and talk and visit and, you know, and everything with the doctor and, I mean, with the family and stuff before the doctor came in. Well, later that night, about it took eight hours so about eight hours later the doctor come up and informed us that surgery went okay um grant had lost some blood but they had gotten most of the tumor out and that he was pretty sure it was cancer and he was pretty sure it was medulloblastoma um but he was sending it off to st jude's research facility to have it checked out we would know something in a few weeks what their determination was with his determination so Grant um, was being a typical seven-year-old, and uh, he was very angry because they had to shave his head <laughs> to do his surgery. He did not want to lose his hair. <laughs> um, 
and stuff during all this. But then when he woke up the next morning, we explained to him, he asked, and we explained to him that he had a, at the time, a knot in his head. Because explaining to a kid cancer is not easy. No. Um, and honestly, I mean, I don't even know what cancer is. I mean, I do, but I don't. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if somebody just come up to me and told me I had, you know, cancer in my head, okay, well, it's made up of a lot of cells and this, that, and the other. So I just told him he had a knot and that the doctors removed it, but that we would be going to, probably be going to St. Jude's to do some treatment. He already knew about St. Jude's because two years before that, he had one of the kids at his school um, was diagnosed with ALL. Um, she was a couple of years older than he is, but he remembers doing the fundraisers and stuff for her. And so he knew when we went to St. Jude's what that meant, you know. So anyway, we were in the hospital, like I said, for about three weeks. We got out of the hospital and our doctor released us the day St. Jude's, we were admitted to St. Jude's. We drove straight five hours, five and a half hours to Memphis. We were not allowed to stop at our home to gather any more clothes. We were not allowed to. He wanted him there because he still had open spots on, from his surgeries. Um, and so we got to St. Jude's that night. And I had, by that time, had my emotions were under check at that point. I was pretty calm by then. Um, I just kept telling myself, God's got this. God's got this. He knows what he's doing. There's a reason and a purpose for everything. And I do believe that. I've always believed that. And uh, even the doctor, before we left from the hospital, he pulled me in one evening. And he said, Michelle, you've not shown any emotions to this. And I looked at him and I said, what do I do? You know, I can't cry about it 24-7. I was like, and God's got this. I was like, he's got my kid. I was like, we're doing everything we can to save my child. And he said, you know, you're going to break one day. He said, when you break, I want to be there for you. You don't get that too often from a doctor. And this was at home. So as we left and went to St. Jude's, we walked in that night. And, of course, we got there after the hospital was shut down. There was no clinic that, that evening because we got there about 6 o'clock. And uh, we walked in, and it was surreal. <laughs> that was about as surreal as you can get is walking into St. Jude's uh, Children's Hospital. And we got there, and we checked into the hospital, and they put us over at one of the houses, the Tri-Delta. And we checked in there and uh, went on to sleep that evening and got up the next morning and started appointments for the first time ever at St. Jude's. Um, and like I said, it was surreal. But the night that we had gotten there, I did have an emotional issue. I, I did. I went to squalling and because it was just surreal. Like I said, it was very surreal. It was an emotional time um, to deal with all that. But we got through with that. And uh, like we said, we went back the next morning. And when we got there the next morning, it was a whole different place. There were kids everywhere in wheelchairs, in wagons, bald heads, laughing, giggling, just having a great time. And that eased up my stress and my emotions. Um, but anyway, as we were, we stayed there. And then, like I said, it was right before Christmas is what I told you yesterday. And so we got there on the 15th. By the 23rd, we were over at the Ronald McDonald house with Sherry and Melaine and all them. And uh, we checked in um, there and 
the first night we got there, because we got there in the evening time, because we had had appointments all day. So we checked in later that evening. But um, when we got there, there just happened to be one of the nighttime managers was from Louisiana. <laughs> so she and I had a nice little conversation, and they got us up to our room. And being at the Ronald is, I mean, all of it's, you have community everywhere. But the Ronald is really a community living space. I mean, you've seen it. It's shared kitchens, shared living, like TV spaces, things like that. I mean, you have TVs in your rooms too, but it's a it's a community when you get to the Ronald. The Tri, Tri Delta House is lovely. We love it, but it's a lot of new people coming in that are like we were dealing with emotions and trying to understand what's going on with their child and how they're going to get through all this. When you get over to the Ronald, you've been there a little while already, a couple of days at least, at least a week maybe sometimes. By the time you get over there. So you're kind of in your groove of appointments and things like that. So when you get over to the Ronald, it's more of community there. Um, all houses have the community, but the Ronald is, you're, you're sharing kitchens with people, you're visiting with people, people don't, by that time, the shock's over, and then you're pushing through trying to get through what you've got to do with for your child to make them better, to heal them, to help them succeed in life, and to help them get and fight this fight that they have to fight. So when you get there, it's like the parents really get together and we... I mean, I know us, when we got there, um, the first night I got there, I had a parent walk up to me, and um, I was outside taking a breather, and I had a parent walk up to me, and she just started questioning me, what does your child have, how long have you been here, and I explained to her what we had and everything, well, come to find out her child had had medulloblastoma too. He was there because his had reoccurred, but... um, you know, she kind of was the first person I ever really talked to about everything. And she explained to me, like, treatments and what procedures we would go through and how things would work over at the hospital, which really helps when you're not 100% sure what you're getting into. <laughs> um, but you just have such a community that's the best way to put it it's just a community uh, over there it's just everybody talks everybody helps you um if we needed anything we would be able to get you know like if I needed advice I could go to another parent even though their child may have something totally different than Grant they were still going through the same thing and there were several times that sometimes your your child might have an emotions and might not be happy with you because you're you're with them 24-7 and they need a break from you and you need a break from them. And it always worked because there's always someone there that can jump in your place at least for a few minutes and let you step out, you know, and have a breather. And they watch your kid for you. And you just you just build these family relationships through, Saint, through Ronald McDonald House. And I, and I think... <clears throat> That if people really want to have an understanding of, you see the commercials when you go into yeah. a McDonald's restaurant, you'll see the little glass box mm-hmm. that if you want to put a little donation in there, you can. And I, I think if people really take the time to to get to understand the message and the, really the story and the history of Ronald McDonald House, of I, I learned some of it on 
my visits there of it started in Philadelphia. It started because a, a professional football player for the Philadelphia Eagles, his daughter was ill with, with leukemia and he, he, um, had teammates that saw him going through this and I don't, I'm not all my facts are straight. I'm just saying off of memory that he had teammates that saw him going through this. They helped him with some funds and raise money at the time. This was back in the seventies when football players probably weren't making millions and millions like they are now, which I'm not worried about that. I'm just saying that teammates pitched in, they helped raise money. The doctor saw this, that, Hey man, this, this girl, this little girl is going through this and her parents have to be away from the home so much with the treatments, with the, with everything that you guys are facing that, um, that's how the Ronald McDonald charity was born, where they went and they got McDonald's, the, the restaurant corporation involved of, if we can give parents the, um, a place to stay, a place to live, a place to have a community, a place to cook, a place to have arts and crafts and social events yes. and gatherings while they're close to the hospital or treatment center <clears throat> that their child is, is currently attending to go through these treatments then the main message was always we don't want them to have another worry in the world because they're going through hell already so mm-hmm. <clears throat> financially where they're going to eat, where they're going to sleep, where they're going to shower, where their kids are going to shower. And that's kind of the message that, that the Ronald McDonald charity yes. and foundation and houses were built on was, hey, if you've got if you got to leave Louisiana and come to Memphis, the St. Jude's facility, which St. Jude's and Danny Thomas and that whole story is freaking it's amazing. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, I, the, the history of St. Jude's and what he did and, and who helped him and, and how, mm-hmm. how he landed, you know, the message was, you know, there's a lot of, there's not a lot of good hospitals in this part of the country in this region of the south and southeast and mm-hmm. memphis is kind of a, a, a central area to where the mississippi river's right there yeah. and you can get get supplies and and so he decided on memphis he's a hollywood actor and had a blessed life and then spent most of his 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 life as a philanthropist of giving back and, and coming yeah. up with this idea and this vision and this dream of saint jude's and he says i you know way after I die, I want to make sure that no kids die of childhood diseases mm-hmm. and cancer. And that's what he's doing. And if you look at the success rate of what it was of the, the yeah. survival rate of what it was when Danny and the guys came up with St. Jude's and what it is now, you, it's over 85% for some of childhood cancer. Um, uh, and some diseases. of it's 90 something. Some of it's nine. Some, some of the yeah. cancer diseases are over 90% now, which before back in the 60s, 70s and, and 80s, it could have been down in the teens, exactly. less than that. So, you know, back to the Ronald McDonald house, these guys, you know, they have McDonald's involved now and they, there's Ronald McDonald. It's not like a lot of people, I think when they're younger, probably associate Ronald McDonald house of maybe it's like a, a, a place where kids can visit to go see Ronald McDonald and, and the, the, the different mm-hmm. characters that are involved in the McDonald's restaurant change chain. And that's not what it is, but in a way it is a, a house of kids, a group of kids. Mm-hmm that are um that are still living with that excitement of you you think about the message of McDonald's and the bad rap that it gets a lot with the bad dieting and the bad nutrition and kids mm-hmm. don't eat. Well, I ate McDonald's when I grew up and I'm not going to be the guy that's going to say, my kid's never going to eat McDonald's. So my kids the, eat McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's nothing there. If it's, if I think everything in moderation in life is fine. Yeah. And I think that the message behind McDonald's was this was a place to come and go to the playground, get a happy meal, smile on your faces. It's a, it's a break. It's a break from school. It's a little social event taught kids how to, to interact with other kids. And again, that's not saying that, that they're they're They don't make a profit and they don't sell a ton of Big Macs and a ton of cheeseburgers exactly. and all that stuff. They do. But 
if you really study up on what the Ronald McDonald house is, it's not a playground that kids just to go visit Ronald McDonald and, and food. It's yeah. there's Ronald McDonald houses in all the major cities yes. in America now. Uh, first one being, in, you know, I believe in Philadelphia during that time in the 70s. Um, the a, a very prolific one is in Memphis, where, which yeah. is where St. Jude's is. And the it? Memphis, if I'm not mistaken, and like you said, my facts aren't 100%, but the Memphis Ronald McDonald House is a little different from all the others. Um, and I say that because I've had family stay in a Ronald McDonald House um, at home due to a child being in NICU when they were born. Um, and theirs was a little different. Not like they asked for a lot of money, but they did ask for, you know, if you wouldn't mind, if you could donate back or, you know, bring some groceries, that kind of thing. Memphis does not ask for any of that. Memphis actually gives you, you get a room, you have a kitchen. Between St. Jude's and the Ronald McDonald House, you get a gift card. Uh, we used to be a Kroger's card um, for groceries. They supply the washing powder. Um, for you to wash your clothes, you don't ever have to buy that. They supply. They have a pantry on both sides of the of the Ronald McDonald House in Memphis. They have a kitchen A and a kitchen B, and in each one's on each side of there, they have a pantry that is loaded with anything from canned soups to juice drinks, pudding, snacks, chips. You name it. It's pretty much there. Breakfast, you know, and. Honestly, when your child's going through treatment, you you do cook some, but by the time they've had chemo, they usually may just want a bag of chips or something salty just to keep them from not getting sick to their stomach. So the pantry is always there for whatever taste they might have because they just don't eat that much when you're on chemo. They just, they don't, they, because they, all they're going to do is get sick again. And so a lot of times they don't eat a lot. And not only did that run, I mean, the Ron McDonald house in Memphis, they also have a lot of, um, other organizations that come in and cook at night for you, um, some of them are families that have stayed there before that had a calling. Their child, they lost their child, so they created this organization in their child's name. Allie's Way is one of them at Memphis, and that's the kitchen and everything, that the new kitchen. That wasn't there when we were there. Um, but it all comes from donations. Everything they do comes from donations, and they never ask a parent for anything. They never ask for a penny back. They never ask for, you know, can you bring a snack? They don't ask you for anything. You are strictly focused on your child and getting through the situation you are in at the Ronald. Um, like you said, they have arch rooms up there. I mean, Lisa and Grant both would go up to the art room. They have game rooms um, up there at the Ronald in Memphis. Uh, they have one for families, and then they have one strictly for youth. And honestly, the rule is, unless you are a teenager of 13 or above, you cannot go in. If you're above the age of, I'll say, 18 to 19, you cannot go in. Um, it's strictly for teenagers. I mean, it's and the reason they do that, talking to some of the employees and stuff, is because sometimes you just need to get away and those teens can go up to that room and just enjoy be, be each teenagers. other. Yes. And enjoy each other. I mean, we had several teenagers when we were there that were friends of ours. And I can remember one night <laughs> I laughed at them because 
There was about six of them, and they all went up there and decided, okay, we're all sleeping up here tonight. Slumber party. Slumber party. And they did. And then the parents could go up there, you know, so we just kind of had to go and peek and check and, you know, make sure everybody was doing, you know, good and not getting sick or anything. But, and they had the best time. Grant and Alyssa, I mean, we used to go up there. They had a pool table. Uh, As a matter of fact, that was one of the ways. Grant wasn't walking when we first got to Memphis because of his surgeries and stuff. And he, we, at the time we were in, two doors down, two or three doors down from the playroom upstairs. And he started semi-walking by pushing his wheelchair down to the playroom because he'd want to go to the playroom. I'm like, okay, if you want to go, then you're going to have to walk, you know, a little bit. we got to strengthen you up. And so he would get behind his wheelchair and push it, and I would hold on to him, and we'd walk down to the game room. Um, I have pictures on my phone and stuff of him standing up for the first time playing video games over there. I mean, it's just, you hate to say it, but your child knows they're sick, but they don't know they're sick. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Like, they're, it's not constant of you're sick you can't do this you you know it's something that always makes them feel better and makes them maybe put that sickness to the back of their mind and just be children we had nerf gun wars well that's that's if you think if you think about what i just said about when you go to a mcdonald's the, the 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 stresses of life or if a kid is um you know whether they're picked on or whether they're having a hard time in school with mm-hmm. a certain class or whatever mcdonald's was always looked at as this retrieve that you could go to yes. and, and just have your and, and people might look at me like i'm crazy but that's really what it was it mm-hmm. was a place where any kid could go in there they had a, a specialized menu for a kid with a happy meal and a, get a smile on your face you get a little toy you, yep. get, you get drinks that were made for your size and it was that place where a kid had a safe haven of hey that's what that and maybe it was just mastermind genius marketing by the mcdonald's corporation <laughs> to start breeding the these hamburger eaters at an early age to where they turn 40 and they're still eating six Big Macs a week. I have yeah. no idea. <laughs> but because of McDonald's association with this charity now, and it's mm-hmm. called the Ronald McDonald House, now what you're saying is these kids are being kids. They're not going to a hospital and staying in this in this room that no. they've got to sit in by themselves and not talk to anybody, not see a TV, not see a toy room, not see a pool table, not see a kitchen table, exactly. a meal being cooked, and it, it, they're still living. And, yeah. and that's what gives them the tenacity and the determination because they don't know they're sick, really. They don't have any hair anymore. Their yeah. voices are screwed up. Yeah. They're in a wheelchair. They can't walk. They don't have their motor skills. We're going to get into all this. But when I'm there, I'm just like, man, Mm -hmm. these kids don't, they're messed up. And they don't, they don't care. They don't give a shit. They're just like, they're just like, hey, I'm, hey. I'm and normal. That, that's what lo- I loved about the Ronald McDonald House because I went into it like, this is going to make me so sad. It's going it to make me think of my family. And I went, I came out of there going, God, I'd, I'd go visit it once a week. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. want to go in there. And the, the kids and the moms and the dads I met, yeah. it's, it, you can't replace that. So that's, you know, when, when the Ronald McDonald House charity is coming about, it's, it's where you have all these people, like, for example, we'll, we'll stay on um, Memphis is how I got associated with it was my good buddy John Gordon runs the Clays for Kid program, mm-hmm. which is a Ronald McDonald charity, Ronald McDonald House charity event in Memphis, Tennessee that's involved with the outdoors and sporting clays and shotgunning and guns and shooting and hunting and conservation. Yes. And um, you get he, you go out and they sell these four man teams to come to a sporting clays event and they shoot 
sporting clays that might take them an hour and a half. They get a lunch and a cold drink, and then there's a dinner and a raffle, and they bring all this money. And the money that's raised in that one event that takes 18 hours, it's a two a day and a half, two-day event at the most, but it takes probably a week to set up, and it takes mm-hmm. all year to organize. They, these, these volunteers on the board of directors there at Ronald McDonald House Memphis, like John, you know, John Gordon and Melena and everybody. I worked with Melena and John on this one. It brings in enough money to cover the entire utility bill, the power bill for the Memphis Ronald McDonald House for the entire year. So now that's how they can pass those. You know, they can Move give that. that to you and your family and other families that are facing this hell of saying, hey, you don't have a worry here yeah. because there's people out there with compassion and big hearts that are that are donating. They're they're participating in these events. They're they're doing things to make sure that money and funds are going into the Ronald McDonald charity accounts that it's going towards this deal. So if you look at the big picture and you're don't have a sick kid in your family. Yeah. And you haven't faced this kind of adversity in life or this hell that you went through. It's easy to say, all right, here's a dollar. Every dollar counts. And that's the way that you start looking at philanthropy and and charity work is that somebody's got to do it. Mm -hmm. Because if there's if people just said, I'm not going to be I'm not going to get a team to go shoot in this sporting clays event at the clays for kids. I'm not going to drop a dollar in this glass box or this plastic clear box at the McDonald's counter Mm -hmm. every once in a while. Then how in the hell are we going to make sure that families like you don't have a worry once they get there. Because if you don't get to take time off of work and you have to come up and rent an apartment and you have to go get more cars and keep putting fuel in your car and you don't have the shuttle to go back and forth to the hospital, which is only a mile and a half away um, where the the Memphis Ronald McDonald House's place, it's very close to St. Jude's. Um, If you've got to worry about all those expenses every day and you got to be running back and forth to home and doing all that and working to keep that going, you're going to go crazy. Yes, you are. Because on top of that, you have a kid that's dying pretty much. If you yeah. really don't want, I mean, if you don't want to sugarcoat it, yeah, and I know you that pretty that's, much do. you do. I mean, you, you just you, never know when you have yeah. a tumor in your head and brain cancer. Yeah. The first thing that people think is that you, you have a chance to die, mm-hmm. which you do. You it's do. not good. Yeah. And so to have any worry on top of that would not be good. So the Ronald McDonald house and the charities have come in and said, look, Michelle and John, don't worry about money. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about lodging and showering and all this. That, that frees you up to make sure that you put all of your focus and care and on Grant. your child. Yes. Grant. Because that's really all that, all that matters. And yes. that was the whole mentality of the Ronald McDonald House is nothing else matters. So don't worry about nothing else. Now. It doesn't mean that real life doesn't stop, though. So let's not forget exactly. that. It doesn't mean that, hey, Grant's sick. Um, my job's not is going to stand still for me. They're going to keep paying me if I don't work. That's not true either. No, so a lot of families not. split time. Michelle's here this week. She goes home. Yes. She works. John comes in. He he relieves Michelle. Yes, a lot of families do do that. Yeah. Uh, we were fortunate enough. I had already stopped working. Um, I always said God knew our plan. You know, God always knows your plan. He, he has your plan for you. And I had stopped working in 2010, so three years before Grant got sick, I just couldn't. I, I had John and I had talked about it, and we managed to pay things off in our work hour, you know, times and stuff that I could stay home because when my kids started school, I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom anyway. And um, you know, that goes back to that whole thing of I was just I had already stopped working, so we were already budgeted. But still, John couldn't stay with me 24-7. He still had to come back home and work. And Alyssa still had school. Some parents, you know, some parents, I mean, I met several single family moms, single moms, single dads. They had to bring their whole crew. You know, I mean, 
their one child got sick. They had two other children. Well, those other two children had to be staying with them, too. You know, she she had no one or they had no one to put those children off on. And that's a lot of that's where you go back to this of the benefits of these financial donors is because, you know, you think about it, you're a single mom. You've got one child that's like you said, possibly going to die. You got two other kids that you have no one to help take care of. You know, you've got to figure out how to take care of those kids, feed them and have a home for them. Well, you've got the Ronald McDonald house and you're welcome to have them. You know, they come and stay with you. And, you know, I know we're mostly talking about the Ronald, but luckily for St. Jude families, we have social workers that also help to get these children in school because that was one of the options we were given is if Alyssa wanted to stay and not go back home, they would find her a school in Memphis to put her in. Well, I didn't want to change her life too much. I didn't want to disrupt it more than what it was already disrupted because, I mean, you're eight years, nine years old. And honestly, when her brother got sick, she did not see her brother for three weeks because the hospital would not allow her in the home room. The first time she really got to see him was when we went to Memphis. And that was a whole different situation because then she was involved in every aspect of treatment. I mean, every aspect. Yeah, she's going to be the, he's, she's an angel for Grant. I mean, she's going to look over him. She's his she mother took ownership hand. of it, yeah. Yep. So you, you get, you, you're told get to Memphis. You yep. get there late at night to St. Jude's. And what had happened was, is that the initial surgery that took place in Monroe, Louisiana, which the doctors did a great job there, but there was still, you were told that there was stuff. You already knew that there was something yeah, left in there. Yeah, he told me, he said it was in there. He said, and he did not. He did not feel comfortable going in and getting it because of the where the area was. He yeah. honestly did not think it would be. I don't think at that time because it's kind of hard to explain. But your cerebellum's like this. You crack it open. His cere- he has had tumor all right here, but in between there's some little pieces of stuff all through here where nerves and stuff are, and it was up in kind of back hard to get to. Um, about twenty percent of it was left in there after the initial mm-hmm. surgery. Yeah. So he was going to have to, no matter what, have a second surgery. Oh uh, well, at the time we thought chemo radiation would get it. Um, that's what our doctor at home told us, and we understood that. You know, I mean, we didn't want him going in and, you know, and doing something because he wasn't comfortable doing it. We didn't want to push him to do that. That's, you know, and I mean, this man had been around and honestly, our neurosurgeon had trained in St. Jude's and in Memphis. Um, so we were pretty blessed for that, but he just didn't feel comfortable. And he said, it's just a small piece, you know, chemo radiation should get it. You'll be okay. And I said, okay. But when we got to Memphis, the neurosurgeons there were just overlooking Grant's case you know, because they, they have a team for you. You know, I mean, I don't know what... It's a team. I mean, you have everything from nurses to social workers to neurosurgeons to neurodoctors to oncologists, radiation doctors. I mean, you just have all these doctors. And uh, they all get together and meet up and, like, during the evening and talk about the cases. Um, and Dr. Boop, which was the one in Memphis, he... Um, just happened to look and he said I think I can go in and get this and uh, so when they called us and told us you know we were kind of surprised because we weren't technically expecting another surgery we hadn't planned on having another surgery we just planned on radiation and chemotherapy but 
what we do know is the more tumor you can get out, the better survival rate you have. So when our doctors gave us the option and he said he could go in and get this, John and I discussed it and we said, you know, we had discussed it with our doctors and everything. Like they said, the more we can get out, Michelle, the better chance he has of survival, a longer survival. And John and I said, let's do it. You know, if that's what's going to keep my child here, let's do this. So we did. We went in, but had another brain surgery uh, day after Christmas. And uh, they removed 100% of the tumor. And um, I didn't realize until a couple years ago, um, I know it sounds crazy, but when you get there, you've got so much being poured into your head. Sometimes you miss little little right. bits of information. And as I said, Alyssa's, Alyssa's grants, mother hen she's his protector she's i mean she's everything um she's a great big sister and we were sitting there one evening um tearing scans and it was i mean we were through with treatment we were probably a year or two out and um i had stepped out grant had to go do something and i stepped out to go get him he had been in another testing while we were talking to our neurosurgeon i mean our neuro oncologist and I was coming back in the room, and I heard our doctor laugh, and he said, well, Alyssa, he said, let me just show you. She had asked him about, Grant had, had supposedly had a stroke um, when he had his first brain surgery. Um, when we got to Memphis, they saw no sign of it, so I'm, we're still kind of not sure on that. Um, but she was asking, you know, about his posterior fossa. And was it getting any better? And, you know, you think about an eight- or nine-year-old child, she was listening way better than her mother was. Posterior fossa. <laughs> Posterior fossa. Posterior fossa. It's um, when they go in and they mess with all those nerve endings and stuff like that. Um, it causes, uh, that's what causes the the speech impediments, the motor skills, motor skills the balance issues. It's called posterior fossa syndrome. And um, she was asking him, was it getting any better? And, I mean, he was showing her on the MRI where it was. And just, you know, I mean, you talk, you know, you think about all this, and it's it's just, it's surreal to know that you've gone through all this and your children have gone through all this. You know, as as parents, you know, you got one fighting for their life and the other one's over here dealing with it, too, in her own way. Right. But she's listening to the doctors and she's asking questions and, you know, and then, did she ever cry? Never around me. Really? Never How around me. How tough is she? Pretty that, tough. It's amazing. Yeah, she's pretty tough. She never cried around so me. So with the with the surgery, it's not like they just go in and see this lump and or these little pieces. After in the second surgery, they go in, they get the rest out. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that that's all they do. They he has things in his head and at the now uh, on the top of his head was what? And when he first had his first brain surgery, um, they put in a. I don't know the exact terminology for it, but it it looks like it's like a screw thing in his head. He looked like a little alien. I mean, you know, you think of an alien with the little kind antenna. Kind of like a bolt sticking out of the top of his yeah, head. Yeah, it kind of looked like an antenna type thing. And it measured the brain swelling. And if the brain swelling would have got to a certain point, it would have popped and made a noise. And the doctors would have known his brain was swelling. Um, so he's got a nice little spot in his brain. Uh, I mean, his head from that, um, that was only in for about 24 to 48 hours after surgery. Um, that's when your brain tends to swell the most. And um, 
we actually kind of look at it now as, you know, his cross in his head because it's a cross in his head (laughs) Um, and stuff. And then we, after that, too, they tried to let his brain get back and do some, you know, the normal spinal fluid flow and things like that. Well, because that second piece was still in there, that last little piece was still in there, um, it was still blocking ventricles so we ended up having to put a shunt in his head um the doctor you know tried to let it drip for 24 hours and it kept stopping um which meant the fluid in his brain was still building um the spinal fluid was not flowing like it was supposed to so he's got a a peritoneal shunt i think is what it's called um but uh or ventricular peritoneal something like that anyway it's a shunt um and it sends the fluid um from his spine it goes through this little tube and the little tube runs down his neck and into his stomach and it excretes it into his belly which excretes it out like you know i guess bodily fluids um so he's had that um we didn't really want the shunt but you know just because it's so much more to it you just you don't you don't have to do anything with it, but it kind of keeps your child from being able to do some normal things. But it's still in there. It's still in there, yeah. It's still in there. Yeah. So, he, so he has, he's, 2013, these surgeries happen. Mm-hmm. It's 2019. Grant, to be considered cancer-free or in remission, you have to go 60 months, or how does that work now? How Ours was, ours is never remission We'll never get the word remission, from what I understand. Um, we get a no evidence of disease, um, which means that, like, some children can get remission due to the fact that there's no cancer at certain times in their body and that their body is testing as a normal human being, um, which Grants does too, don't get me wrong. But something to do with the fact of the type of cancer um, Grant doesn't get to be in remission. He just gets a no evidence of disease, which means that there's nothing there to see. Um, there's, n- you know, no evidence of the tumor, of recurrence or anything at the point. Um, from what we understand, the doctors said they would never tell us we were in remission, unlike some other families. Um, but even when you're in remission, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that it won't come back and stuff they just qualify ours a little differently due to the i guess the fact that it's a brain tumor and stuff and not in your blood and not in um most of your blood diseases get remission um leukemias things like that um not this one not so, but to get to the point of evidence of no disease now after these surgeries in 2013 the fight's not even close to over because now you have to do the chemo and the radiation. When mm-hmm. I heard these numbers, I was just like, this little poor kid, like, yeah. damn it. Like, he's probably so tough. It was just like, let's get it done, which is a lot of the resiliency that I saw yeah. in the house with the other families. But it starts with radiation. Yes. And he has 33 started, treatments. Yes. And we, um, at the time, St. Jude's had not started there. Um, they got two different kind of radiations now, proton and photon. Um, I think it's the protons, the new one, um, which sends a radiation beam straight to the tumor bed. We ended up having to have the full brain and spine radiation, um, which is a little, I hate to say it, but it's a little harsher than the photon. The photon focuses specifically on that spot where Grant had 33 treatments um, to the brain and spine, which he had, I think it was 12 
10 to 12 treatments to his brain alone. And the rest of the ones were to the spine to make sure there was this is no... radiation. Mm-hmm, to make sure there was no uh, cancer in his um, spinal fluid or in his spine. Um, so he had to have, uh, you know, the radiation treatments that were 54 CYs to the brain and spine. And like I said, I think it was 10. I can't remember all my numbers. I used to could pop them off really quickly, but we're about five or six years out now, and I don't... It's still there, but it's easing to the back of the mind now yeah. um, exactly how much we went through. But um, it was, I think it was 10 or 12 treatments that were to the brain specifically, and the rest of them were to the spine and stuff to make sure that nothing came back and stuff. So this is a seven-year-old kid that is going into these rooms these rooms mm-hmm. for radiation i mean it's secluded you're on there on your own it's a it's a, it's he's on his own he's mm-hmm. who knows what he's what's going through said now is he sleeping when he goes into the room do they put do they put a young kid like that under? yes um it's it's up to the parents um for the first several treatments um we sedated him um, which meant he, they gave him some propofol and he slept for a few minutes while they did the treatments. But as much sedation as these children go under, um, you start worrying as a parent about side off, effects from, yeah, you start worrying about side effects that could possibly hurt your child from so many sedations. Um, so we, Grant and I, um, because I didn't do anything without Grant's approval, um, because he was old enough after the child life specialist come in and spoke to him and explained things to him um, at St. Jude's, uh, they inform you to let your children help make these decisions. Don't just make them all for them, you know, especially when they're certain ages. So Grant and I discussed it, and he said he was tired of sleeping because he wanted to eat. And if you have sedation, you can't eat. <laughs> so he didn't want, he wanted to be able to eat breakfast or snack or something before we went for all these treatments. So he decided he wanted to start staying awake. So we worked with the child life specialist downstairs in radiation. And I think Grant did about four or five treatments um, without, I mean, before uh, with sedation. And then after that, he laid there for 10 to 15 minutes on his own perfectly still so they could radiate him um of course you know you're talking about saint jude's here so they've got music or they've got a spot up there where they can put a movie play in for them and things like that so there's always some little catch to keep these kids laying still um but yeah i mean he we ended up not doing a lot of sedation just because he was being sedated for mris and um not just mris but he had to have uh lumbar punctures also um so not only was he being put to sleep for radiation, then once a month or so we were being put back to sleep for a while of MRI and a while of uh, lumbar punctures. So that was a lot of a lot of uh, anesthesia for a child. So we talked about it and we actually chose um, not to do ra- uh, we did the radiation, but we did it without. Um, sedation for grant so where does chemo come in what is the difference between chemo and and radiation radiation goes in and it's kind of hard to explain it kind of goes in and 
if you can't, you don't, but it, it goes in and kills different cells and yeah. different, and, and, and the way that I understand it. And, and chemo is, is what? It's a poison that they send through your child to So is it through bite. injection? Yes. It's through IV, usually. Um, all of it's through IV. Now, there are some that take pills, but most chemos are through IVs. And the, the state of, of Grant before and after this is, is it, does it make them feel really ill and weak? And, yes. and it just brings them down for a few days after each treatment? Um, yeah. I mean, you have days that you go through and... Um, and it depends on which chemos, too. There were the harsher chemos that we first started taking, which we took four of those treatments. Those were four. Um, those were inpatient hospital stays. We stayed in the hospital for three or four days um, to get these chemotherapies. Um, they were uh, vincristin, cyclophosphamide, uh, cisplatin, and uh, I think amifostine was one of them. Um, and they each have different side effects. Um, but they have to be, you have to be in the hospital to have these chemotherapies. Um, the other three treatments that Grant had were gemocytamine and promixathine. Those were where we could go into the um, medicine room at St. Jude's and um, get those. And it was about an hour injection. Um, but along with chemo is you get your chemo you're in the hospital for four days you finally get out of the hospital you go to your room at the ronald mcdonald house you may have a day or so of you know not feeling so great and throwing up and just being sick as sick 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 then your counts start dropping from a normal anc number down to possibly a zero which means then you have to wear a mask because you can get any infection that comes around and you have to make sure no one is sick that visits you. Um, and that goes on for about, oh, three days to a week, maybe a little longer sometimes. And then on top of that, you have chemo fever, <laughs> which comes on somewhere between the first three or four days after treatment. And then you're back in the hospital for a couple of days because of the possibility of an infection. So then they have to go through and tap your port and pull out some blood. Check this, check that. I mean, it's so much. You're, you're, you spend a lot of time at the Ronald, but you also spend a lot of time at the hospital <laughs> and stuff. And then on top of all that, once your counts are down and you've already got these infections or these numbers and you're running this chemo fever... Then shortly after that, you have to go back in. You know, you may get out of the hospital because you have no infection, so just keep your mask on, be careful. Then you start realizing your blood counts, your white counts are down, your red counts are down. So then you're going back to the hospital again for a few hours to get trans, uh, blood transfusions or platelet transfusions. So, I mean, and it's... he's seven. And he's seven. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and it's, wow. it's you know... And I mean, let's so, not forget that he's seven. Yeah, he's he seven years old going yet. through all this. No. He's already seeing how bad freaking life can be. Mm -hmm. And that's why the the story and what St. Jude's and Ronald McDonald House Charities are doing is absolutely yeah. needed and, and, and so awesome that that they can at least relieve at least but let's say it's just five percent of the pressure off of you and john yeah. and, and and grant and giving him a place and, and Alyssa a place to be yeah. if it's just five percent of that stress and worry and scared i mean i i can't imagine walking in your shoes and that's why i'm so um 
so ingrained in the story of, of, I don't know how I would feel having this talk when I was 20, mm-hmm. but now that I'm in my forties and I have a daughter and she's active and she's seven, she just turned eight and yeah. she's had a headache before and she's thrown up before. And to, to know that we go to the pediatrician and get some grape flavored medicine and she takes it for mm-hmm. four days and the, in the, in the antibiotic knocks it out and she's back at school running yeah. around smiling and, and having slumber parties in my house instead of the Ronald McDonald house. If you compare the two, like, I don't know what I would do. Yeah. I don't know what my, I don't know what Melanie would do. I I think my ex-wife and me would just be like, what in the, you know, like, it's scary. It's life. It's, it's, but you know, to know that these charities and this hospital has it down pat and they're learning every day and new technology Mm -hmm. and new medicines and new techniques. And it's, it's being innovated every day, but where we're at right now with modern medicine saved grant, it really did. And, and, and the, and the Ronald McDonald house taken, it saved you. It it saved you a lot of stress while you dealt with it. So grant now is he's 12 Yes. He's 12 years old now. Yes, it's been is. almost six full years. Yep. He lost his motor skills. When I hear him talk, he doesn't talk regular. He yeah. doesn't walk 100% regular yet. It's been six years removed. Every day is still a fight, a yep. learning experience. Re, re, he's, he's, he's having to relearn all that stuff that mm-hmm. he learned as a toddler and as a, you know, a kid that was three, four, five, six years old. Yeah. Learning all those motor skills, how to eat with a fork, how to talk, yes. how to hold his head up the right way, how... All of that has been manipulated through the chemo, through the radiation, through the brain surgeries, mm-hmm. through the disease being removed from him. Yes. Thank God and Jesus that the, that there's no sign of this disease inside of Grant's exactly. head anymore. But the fight doesn't stop. No. Now, one side of that fight is you as a mom. It's not a normal 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. And if it is, tell me it is. Because he's going to a normal school now. He's going to a normal yes, public school. But there's still issues. There's still a lot of issues, right? So I mean, you're, it you're takes not, a little longer to do your homework. It takes, you know, he, he can't, unlike a normal 12-year-old, he can't keep up with his class writing stuff. You know, so then it stresses him out stress his mom out because he he wants to be as normal as he can he feels like he's not exceeding seven eight nine years old it didn't bother him but now that he's becoming a teenager you start seeing the little side effects of it and and, and unfortunately that's it's, hard. It, it's hard it's very hard yeah. when your child comes to you and says i don't think any of the little girls like me because i'm not a normal boy you're like excuse me you know you know and we're very fortunate um because we came from a small community. So everybody in our community knows what's happened to Grant. And don't you let anybody try to say anything ugly to Grant because that whole little sixth grade class of his is going to get on somebody. Yeah, um, because, which is cool. Because, yes, because we had great teachers in elementary. And we have, I mean, seriously, we have 400-something kids in K through fifth grade at one school, which is when Grant got sick. That was how many children were in his school. And our teacher, Grant's teacher at the time, like, I mean, I have videos and stuff of the children from his class um, singing him Christmas carols. And um, they knew step for step to a point what Grant was going through. And then once Grant got home, um, you know, they realized we, we did come home some during some of this because we you know, our accounts were good or our treatment was done for a little bit and we could come home and visit. So we would try to come home and see a few people. Um, 
he played like his football team. We came home and tried to watch one of their games. Um, and so the kids knew Grant and they knew everything and they saw pictures of things and um, everything. And then Grant, of course, <clears throat> about two years ago, decided it was they were doing a mathathon for school and he decided it was time to really show them some of the ins and outs of the Ronald McDonald House and of the uh, St. Jude Hospital. Um, so we had pictures that I had taken while we were there and we put them on a um, on your phone there's a I forget what it's called but anyway we took these videos and we took these well these pictures and we made a slideshow of him getting access, his port getting accessed, his, you know, just some of the places, treatment we went to, some of the therapies, things like that, that we had to do. And we posted them for the whole school to see, um, to explain to them what the mathathon was for. Um, but to, to also kind of give them a little more in depth of what Grant went through. Um, he thought it was a great idea to show the children, you know, so they would understand what they were donating to and looking at and seeing and what this was what the children there go through every day um which shows a strong kid to be able to heck yeah you know let your peers see, see you what, your undressed moment. and you know you've got a needle sticking out of your chest i mean that's kind of you know of course we had to get approval from all parents to make sure they were okay with that sure. but um but most of our parents i mean there's and honestly I didn't realize until the last couple of years that a lot of these children that Grant was in class with, they know a lot more about what he went through than I would have thought they would have known. I wouldn't have think, thought the parents would have elaborated so much. Um, but, but, did, but, you but I'm did glad good, they did. But you did a good job of keeping people updated through Facebook. Um, you had <laughs> you had pages dedicated because that's also a release from you. You need to be mm-hmm. able to let that out. You need the people that cared wanted to know. Mm-hmm. Um, you needed people to talk to. You needed a support system. You needed somebody to lean on. And now here we are, six down the six years down the road. Your your attitude is amazing. You're, it it yeah. almost was like, and I don't know if I'm wrong, and you don't have to answer this, but I got a different mm-hmm. feeling from your husband yesterday when I would bring certain things up and I know John's quieter than you I know yeah. that you're the you're the talker in the family uh-huh. uh, which is which is awesome but is he still really affected by it did he was yes. he, he get really emotional yesterday when certain topics got brought up and, it, and it killed me we don't discuss a lot about what happened um it still bothers him uh, yeah I mean that's his child you know I mean that's his son uh, I mean not not that it would be any different with his daughter but you know that's I don't know I don't know how to explain that bond it. there that bond's different it's a and, it's one of those things to where and dad I don't and mean it son. ugly but men are a little different with their emotions than us women we release ours we let ours go we talk it out I love y'all but y'all bottle a lot up inside and keep it inside or most men I know do you're making a stereotype no I'm just kidding <laughs> I agree I agree we probably do I you, mean you I, there's nothing wrong with crying no there's, there's not. nothing wrong nothing. with showing your emotions no. and that and I think that places like the Ronald McDonald house and they allow you to do that in comfort because I cried when I was there I was like holy shit I'm not gonna not cry I mean like yeah. a lot of the tears were a joy but a lot of it was like when I hear things like what affects me is like when I hear 
what John goes through still. When I saw the look on his face yesterday, mm-hmm. that that affects me because mm-hmm. I, I I can't even imagine being there in the in the in the in the when when he first gets told, hey, you know, yeah. your diagnosis is this. You've been diagnosed with brain cancer. This is what we need to do. As a dad, you're probably pissed. You're probably mad. You probably have every emotional oh, yeah. emotional strain on your that you could possibly go through going through mm-hmm. your mind and your psyche at that time. But here we are, six years later, in and 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 we're in Oklahoma right now. Mm-hmm. Through our association with John Gordon in the Ronald McDonald House and the yes. Sporting Clays event called Clays for the Kids in Memphis, we we started doing this story just to go and highlight that event. Yes. Go there and, and work on the event of getting sponsors involved, of getting um, of going to our partners and saying, hey, Benelli, would you like to do a shotgun? Heck yes. Can we do yeah. this? Can we, Traeger, would you like to do a grill? Heck yes. And, and that's how it started. And then when I started talking to John about it on either they're so professional and they're, they're not, they're not, um, beggars. They're not saying we give us this, give us this. He was really professional about it. So I started Mm -hmm. imposing a little bit on, well, what, what's going on with what's going on. And I started getting educated a little bit more on the cause of what we were doing. So I sat there and I went, well, what if we could do more than just send a gun or send, send a duck call to raffle off or auction off. What if we did more mm-hmm. and we could do what we're doing now, which is we went to Memphis and we learned, we were sponges. I was like, man, this is unbelievable. Cause and, and, and one of the things I learned was the resiliency of these kids, meaning that I would sit down with, with these kids that were bald headed, mm-hmm. wearing beanies, wearing, had bandages still, uh, in wheelchairs, in walkers at seven yeah. years old, frail, couldn't talk, sounded like 80 year old ladies and they're seven years old. And I was like, Mm-hmm. They're still smiling. Mm-hmm. They want to blow duck calls. Oh, yeah. I'm never going to have another. I'm not saying it's easy to say, well, we don't know nothing to bitch about. You know, you can't have a bad day when people are going through this. Exactly. Life happens. Yes. You might be behind on your bills. You might get a little depressed. You got to figure out a way to pick yourself up and, and get going. You have to rebound. You have to adjust. Exactly. This, this, things are going to happen. This is what God had for you planned to deal mm-hmm. with whether, whether it was meant to make you a stronger person or the other parents that are involved in there. I never got the sign or the sense that anybody was a pity party or felt sorry for themselves. No. They're like, we're dealing with it and we're going to get my kid That's out of exactly here and we're going to live life. So when I saw that, I was like, I want to tell the whole story. And mm-hmm. then when I got there, I said, I want to do more. So I sat, I sat with Melena and, and, and John, and we talked about finding a family that went through this story because I couldn't take a kid that was in the hospital no. right now doing what we're doing right exactly. now. So they remembered you. They talked yeah. to you guys about an outdoors family from Louisiana. <laughs> and I said, hell yes. Heck yes. Let's, let's get this family up there. And first I was like, bring the dad and the son. That's what the talk was. And then they're like, you know, this family, man, they're different. You know, Michelle's going to be, and I'm like, bring them. So yesterday, <laughs> here we are, Alyssa and you and John and, and Grant dressed in, in camouflage banded gear, sitting yes. in a duck blind in Oklahoma yes, with flatline outfitters. Blue Moore and, and, and Trey Miller have been nice enough to bring, to host this hunt for us. I talked to Blue about it and he's like, Hell, heck yes, bring them. Yeah. So we're in a duck blind. And duck geese are coming in. A few of them came in, and, and, and Grant got to shoot. Alyssa harvested her first goose. Yes. Grant and her kind of got into a little bit of a competition, you know, <laughs> who's going to get the better goose, the better ducks, who's going to cook the best Sibling one. Sibling robbery. Grant, Grant and I came up with a new business plan. We're going to be called Rippin' Lips Cocktail Sauce. That mm-hmm. he's, 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 he's got a recipe that I guess is amazing. My point is, is that 
here we are six years later and the story doesn't stop the, 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 the emotional distress that it caused your husband yesterday. When I brought things up, I was like, I can't, I hate that. I hate yeah. that for that man. And then he still was like, let me help pick up decoys. Let me, I'm like, mm-hmm. go get in your truck, go mm-hmm. get in, go get in the hot tub, enjoy your family and let's talk tomorrow. And he, the resiliency's there. Yeah. The friendships there, fast friendship, fast bonds. I've always said that the outdoors are the common denominator yeah. that bring all of us together. Duck hunting brings so many different walks of life together to where you had a different background. John's is in a different background. Mm-hmm. We all love the outdoors. We meet in Oklahoma. We become friends that fast. And because of, of duck hunting, I was able to get an invite to go to the Ronald McDonald house in the St. Jude's hospital. And that's how I met you. And that's what hunting does. And I'm not saying that we wouldn't have met another way. I might've, but I wouldn't have walked into a Denny's and saw your family sitting there and went up and walked up. Hey, "Hey, y'all want to go to Oklahoma (laughs) and hunt ducks? So the, the, the common denominator that brings all this together is freaking hunting. Yes. And that's what I love about this lifestyle. And that's what I loved about yesterday is that that was therapeutic. And I've brought veterans, I've brought wounded veterans, I've brought amputees, I've brought different people that went and fought for our freedoms that have yeah. brain brain had, had one guy had 19 brain surgeries and he lost oh, all wow. of his short-term memory and he didn't understand he, he we would take a picture pitch picture and five minutes later he would ask me when that picture was taken yeah and I've, I've had a duck hunting is therapeutic mm-hmm. hunting in the woods and the waters and God's earth and mother nature is therapeutic and that's what I wanted to get out of it is get this kid up here grant He's not just a kid to me anymore. Now he's my bro. I call him G unit. I had, we had, we were laughing. He was talking smack. Um, but what happens now, Michelle, is his life expectancy the same as a normal man in America in the mid seventies? Is he going to go to high school and be able to put on shoulder pads and, and play football under those Friday night lights? Is he going to be able to drive a car at 16? What, tell me what, 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 what happens now? We don't know. You don't know. It's all up in the air. It's all, football. Never. We, never. we know no contact sports ever due to the shunt and the brain tumor and the brain surgeries. Um, because I mean, once you crack your skull open, you know, your skull's just not as strong. Um, we do know that, uh, driving, we're not sure yet. We're, we're taking it day by day. Um, there's always something new come up. I mean, you know, some days we have good days of memory. Some days we don't. Um, some days we have good days with emotions. Sometimes we have really bad emotional days. Um, you know, it's just life's. You cannot plan. I mean, like Alyssa, I can tell you with my other child, you know, she didn't go through, she did not have this. So she will play her sports. She will graduate high school with honors or, you know, at least graduate high school. Let's go there. Um, Oh, she will. She's sharp. She will be able to drive at a normal age. She'll be able to go to college and function as a normal college person. She will become an adult and be able to do all the normal adult things um have a home of our own not have to have mom and dad you know grant i believe he'll be able to do all this but we're we don't know i mean you hate to say that but it's kind of a hard Situation because the radiation takes effect longer in life. Now, will he be a normal child, normal person? Yeah. Um, will he be able to graduate high school with honors? I don't know. Will he attend college? We hope so. 
um, because now they've got a lot of benefits to, you know, computers and things like that, that they can record stuff and, you know, type things out and things like that. But I hope he's able to get married, have children, you know, but then there's that possibility children may not exist for him because of all the treatment he had. Um, because that's one thing the treatment will tell you. Um, that's one of the big things written in the treatment plans is, uh, you know, when you're talking about different chemos and radiations is fertility is a big issue possibility of not being fertile. Um, you know, will he live normal? Pretty much. Yeah. Will he may have a, have to have a little extra help? Possibly, probably, but he's alive. He's alive. He's here. You know, I mean, I've seen kids, you know, um, from St. Jude's that, and, and like you were saying, treatments are so different. Um, from back when first started to now. But what people don't realize is five years ago, treatment for Grant is kind of different from treatment for kids now, if that makes sense. Like now they have the proton radiation instead of just the photon. So some kids get the option of not having as much radiation to the brain, to the whole brain, because of this new photon thing. Um, Chemos and stuff are pretty much the same. But, like, 10 years ago, like, the radiation was even higher than 54 CYs for some children. Um, the chemos were a little bit stronger, you know, a little bit longer dosage. I mean, the way St. Jude's explained it to me, and I know, you know, we're talking about a lot about Ronald McDonald House, too, but a lot of things that St. Jude's explained to me and the doctors there were <laughs> treatment at St. Jude's where normal population it takes about 10 years it takes two to five for saint jude's to get it that makes sense makes sense um so treatments change treatments are different you know and it's but still being over there the atmosphere does not change the chemos, the treatments, the this, that, you know, the medications may change over the years and over the span of everything, but the families in the atmosphere do not change. Don't change. Not at all. You know. Amazing. So, in a nutshell, you you went through living hell. Yes. Like, literally living hell. Yes. And because of the Ronald McDonald House. Yes. And modern medicine and education and, and our doctors and nurses grants still with us the survival yes. rate of grants diseases in the in the 80, mid 80s 80 percent 85 somewhere around in there um it's, it hasn't been like that forever it's getting better mm-hmm. um but that just means surviving the disease that doesn't mean that it, it stops and that's no. that's that's what i get out of it is that i i want people to have an understanding that how precious life really is mm-hmm. in that being able to hear yourself talk in a normal voice, being able to have the confidence that a girl's going to like me or a boy's going to like me, being uh, able to have the confidence that I'm not going to get teased because I don't walk regular anymore. Um, th- this is the; these are the things that also are going to play a role in a, a person, a kid's life, like Grant. Mm-hmm. That it's going to take that mindset of the Ronald McDonald house and community and strength and communication and transparency mm-hmm. and uh, um, tenacity and determination. And that's the word I see in Grant is that he was cold yesterday. 
Mm-hmm. And I kept saying, hey, man, you want, you want me to go get the truck? You want me to get the heater? He's like, no. Nope. He would just put a, a hand warmer in his gloves. And I, w- I would watch him. I would say, okay, I don't want to help him if I don't have to. And he was having a hard time getting a hand warmer in his gloves because of his mm-hmm. motor skills. And I would look at John, and John was kind of doing the same thing I was. And John would, you know, finally reached over there and yeah. did it. And I was like, a little thing like putting a glove on mm-hmm. with a hand warmer, I do it every day of the hunting season. Mm-hmm. No problem. Yeah. And that's what I want people to get out of this is that life is so precious mm-hmm. and anything that we go through in life, the, 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 the things that can break down a relationship, can break down a community, can break down communication, can break down, you know, you get in a fight with your brother and you hold a grudge and you keep it going for years. Yeah. It, none of that shit's worth it. And no, I'm sorry to not. curse around you. I know that you don't care, but none of it's worth it in the long yeah, run, because not. if you look at how precious life is with your family. It's amazing to me that you guys still have your wits and can still, and I'm not saying that you guys went through anything worse than anybody else has, or you went through the worst thing ever. There's things that, that that affect us in all different ways, but when it involves a kid Mm -hmm. and it involves two brain surgeries and 33 appointments and sessions of, of radiation and all of the chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And then losing your motor skills and learning to have to walk again and talk again and eat with a fork again. Yep. That, that's, that's something that is by far one of the worst things that can ever happen in life to see yeah. your kid go through that. I yeah, promise hard. you that the first thing that I would say is please put me in their shoes instead of them. And, and God can. And I did. But God can. <laughs> but he can't. He can't. So the next, thing you have to do, the, the, the next thing you have to do is make sure that you're there in every capacity. And you don't have freaking time to get down. You don't have time to cry. You don't have time to throw a fit. You don't have time to get depressed. No. You gotta, it's all about grant now it it was for the last six years Mm -hmm. and you and then on the other side of that you can't forget about Alyssa. and her mind is like she can take care of herself she's so at 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 her age now she's a young adult Mm -hmm. you know at least she acts like one and i know she's still a kid and it was cool seeing him act like kids yesterday arguing a little bit competitive a little bit they're still kids and you wouldn't want it not to be and and so i think that if people take the time to get to know somebody that went through this, learn a story. And I've learned several in the last few months since, 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 um, you know, putting this thing together with John and Milena, if you take the time to learn the stories and then educate yourself a little bit on what, and it might not be St. Jude's, it might not be Ronald McDonald house. It might be another charity, but a lot of times when people see the Salvation Army or they see the Ronald McDonald house that we automatically I think disregarded a lot because it's out there so much. Yeah. And the reason it's out there so much is because it has to be Yeah. because kids are getting sick every day. Yeah, they are. And when I, what I, I mean, what you've done as a mom and what you continue to do, it's truly amazing. And I want people to understand that it's, it's not, your voice doesn't show a lot of emotion. Mm-hmm. Like you're about to start getting choked up and crying once in a while it might, but you, you are, you are stable. You're rocking it. Right. And so what you've done, you've had help. You're yes. not afraid to admit that. No. And that's what Ronald McDonald house. And that's what St. Jude's mm-hmm. and these different charities do. And it's easy to take that for granted. And I keep going back to that is that it's it's not to be taken for granted. No, Put not. yourself in a duck blind with a kid like Grant and see him try to do the things that a normal kid should be doing at that age. Mm-hmm. And you're going to tell yourself, I'd never want another kid to have to go through no, this as long know. as they live. And that's, that's the heart of a hunter. That's the heart of a human being. And because of hunting, we were brought together. You're sitting across the table from yes. me in duck camp, America, wearing a foul life hat and a banded yes. vest. And we're talking about how hunting brought together me and you and this kid that was on his almost his deathbed kind of and if you really want to get down to it he was was almost gone and he's here and he's hunting 
and he's smiling and he's arguing and he's freaking holding up a goose for a picture and he's putting out decoys <laughs> and he's talking about our new cocktail sauce we're going to have. He's 70% owner. I'm 30% owner. <laughs> he's right. got the entrepreneurial spirit and his sister's like, Grant, I don't know if you're going to have want to settle for that. You might want to get 80, 20, <laughs> you know, he's, she's negotiating for him. And I'm like, that's so badass. It's mm-hmm. so awesome. And so I'm going to get some labels done and we're going to get some cocktail sauce going on. Right. And it's going to be called Rip and Lips Cocktail Sauce by Grant G Unit. And so I, I don't, a conversation like this, you don't want it to end. It has to end. You don't know how yeah. to end it, but it's not ending for you yet. We got it. We're going out. We're going to hunt today. Right. We're going to have a nice dinner tonight. You guys are going to head back to Louisiana. I'm going to head to Las Vegas for the shot show, but oh. we're going to stay in touch. We're yes. going to stay in touch. Yes, That's what I do. Yeah, it's, it might be a concert. It might be a crawfish boil. I'm, Grant uh, already told me I need to get down to taste test the cocktail sauce before we bottle That's it. Right. We got to approve it. So there's going to, it's long, long lifetime friendship. Exactly. And it would have never happened. If we wouldn't have been going through what we went through. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, he doesn't know, and you don't know, and it would have never happened if 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 duck hunting wasn't involved in it. It exactly. might have. You can't say never. No, but you if, never if, can say never. I might. I may have never met you if Grant didn't get sick. I know. Something good is coming out of all of this. Yes. He was the one that had to take the bullet for it to happen. Exactly. But there's a reason for that, and something's going to happen with him that's going to be put yes. to elevate him and put him on top of the. And earth, I've always on told top him. Of the world. I've always told him from day one when he got sick. And, and and not just my kid. I mean, like I said, when we were at the Ronald, there was a lot of community support. Um, and like I told them, all our friends and even some other kids that we just kind of knew through it here and there. But um, these kids don't go through this for no, nothing. God has a huge plan for every one of these babies that go through this. Um, some of them are not here any longer. I hate that. They, they, at the Ronald McDonald House, Milena describes it as they got their wings. They did. They got their wings. They, they got, got their, their wings. wings. And yeah. They became angels. Grant had a really close friend of his that got his wings while we were still there. Um, God damn. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a whole that's other a, part That's of a whole <laughs> other part of it. Unbelievable. Um, so these kids go through, not just do they go through treatment, but they go through life and death and loss and not just loss of their selves and their personal self I should say but friends too I mean it's it's a hard situation and these kids come out still resilient and fighting and like you said talking about ripping lip cocktail sauce and you know hunting geese and hunting ducks I mean they fight their way through everything but then they fight their way through life the rest of the time too and it builds character to a point I guess you hate to say that about cancer but it kind of builds character it does I mean, well, it builds character not just in the patient, but in everybody else and around. The whole family. If you can, be, if you can't be around, if you're around your family and you don't come out of it with a better character and a exactly. better look on life, then you're an idiot. Yeah, truly, you are. Like you, this has taught me so much as a human being since oh, yeah. I got to know Melena and, and John Gordon and everybody at the Ronald McDonald House in Memphis taught me. And, and, and showed me, I, I have a totally different outlook yeah. on life. I, I put together Christmas gifts for the, the, the patients that I met there, the kids that I met there, yeah. and sent them and, 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 and got pictures back of them blowing the duck calls or watching the DVDs or wearing the hats or mm-hmm. whatever it was. Um, I hear I, different kids call me and talk and sing to me and, and, awesome. and, 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 <laughs> and, and, and do the things that normal kids do. And I'm friends with them. I'm friends with, I'm friends with a seven-year-old that had brain cancer and I'm friends with a 12 year old that had brain cancer mm-hmm. there. And I told you the story about take, going to the rendezvous in Memphis with her dad. Yes. I, I, I just have a totally outlook, a total different outlook on life. And I think that it makes me 
cherish life more. Yeah. And it makes me not take things for granted because exactly. Grant could have been gone the day after you, you know, the surgery, something could have went wrong in the surgery. You just never know. Yeah. So to know that yeah. it makes you know that life is precious and mm -hmm. people, it, you, you can't go through it. You can't go through the motions, live mm -hmm. life every day to the fullest. Go, Limited go do fullest. yourself a favor and do yourself a favor and go to a Ronald McDonald house and just ask, just say you want to visit, say you want to get involved, go meet yes. some of the kids, see that it just challenge yourself to see if it doesn't make you want to be a better person mm -hmm. and live life a different way to make sure that you're helping them or doing things. And to even help if them. you don't want to go visit a Ronald McDonald house, think, about or you know if you don't necessarily want to go visit you can always call and say hey look what are you in need of because i'm telling you they supply paper towels they supply snacks they supply them. plates they supply milk they supply i mean heck their cokes when we were there were 25 cents in the can in the machine yeah. i think they're 50 cents now yeah they went up but you know they're always in need of something washing powder um because you you don't realize how many times you have to wash your sheets while you're there. Yeah. Um, don't have, don't have the mindset that yeah. that it's McDonald's. They got enough money to take care of that. Yeah, they, they don't. don't. They're a business. They deserve to make all the money that they can in the world. They can't. Ray Kroc came yep. up with a nice business plan. Now they are giving back. And to and give are. back, they need help again. But they also need help. Because money doesn't last forever. They don't. No, they, they, all their profits they make off of Big Mac sales don't go into Ronald McDonald House. It'd be mm -hmm. impossible. They got millions of employees. Yep. So maybe that's a big number. Maybe hundreds of thousands of employees. And now they have franchise. There's a lot of things that that business does. Yep. It can't take care of the charities by itself. But those charities are taking care of a ton of families, a ton of sick kids. Yeah. And they need help. So... Uh, if you go into one and say, hey, I, I got a bunch of toys that are hand-me-downs that you might not necessarily need. Bring them over there and see if they need them. There's yeah. places out there like Goodwill. There's places you, you can do that. You yeah, make blankets. blankets. They Whatever. can always use blankets. I mean, when we walked in the first time, that was one of the main things that... They were lacking on was blankets. No, they weren't lacking, but that was one of the things that made the kids so comfortable is when you walked into your room, there was a blanket that the kids and most of the kids loved them because they were soft and cuddly. Somebody had made them. Um, there was blankets and then there was bags that had, you know, cause like some of them, you know, some of my friends, luckily we knew we were coming before hand, but some people got to hospital one night and their blood counts were a million and they had to be sent to the St. Jude's that night, you know, um, they had toothbrushes, toothpaste. I mean, they, they, they supply all this stuff. And that's the big thing is that they supply so much. I mean, as parents, we never really had to go out of the Ronald McDonald house to get anything. We did just because we needed an outlet to get out for a little while, but they had, like I said, they supplied the washing powder, the dryer sheets, um, toothbrushes, toothpaste, razors, I mean, just anything, hangers, because there's always something needing to be hung or, you know, just it, it, just donate. Another thing that you can always donate is gift cards. Oh, my gosh. Gift cards are, oh, you would see these kids light up with a gift card because they could get music on their iPads or on their iPhones or something, you know, I mean. I mean, a, a, a gift card to some of the parents to go out and enjoy a nice dinner exactly. while they're going through that. There's, there's a lot of ways that you can go and get involved in this. And I think it's a great way or a great thing because the kids, I, I just, to, to see, to know that kids are going through this, mm -hmm. it's, it's real. When you see a St. Jude's commercial and you're young, you might not think it's real. You might just think that, ah, oh, whatever, that's Hollywood. It's not, it's real. These no, kids real. are in these hospital beds. They're in these radiation treatments. They're yes. getting their skulls cut open and, and tumors taken out. So 
I, I think it's great. I think that what we have experienced in such a short amount of time has done so much for everybody involved in life. This mm-hmm. trip, I hope, did something good for your guys' family and our friendship for the future. Yes. And I hope that John and his being in the duck blind with his kids means everything to him. And it's not over yet. It's it's going to be another fun day today. We got a mallard duck hunting. Blue and Trey scouted it last night. I'm excited about it. I bring the Yay. hunting into it because we're not sad. We're happy. Yeah, we're Grant's happy. fired up. We went through hell, and I'm saying that you guys did that. I mean, I'm putting me in there because I feel like I'm part of it now. But oh, yeah. And, and, and I think that seeing that that duck blind is putting a smile on his face and having that gun and hearing those sounds and mm-hmm. talking and talking about our new cocktail sauce. He's normal. That's what it's all about. He's a normal kid. And he's got things to look forward in the future. And the li- life is going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. So to you, I thank you for sitting down with me. Thank and you. I'm so sorry what you had to go through, but I also am saying that... Hey, if it had life. to happen, Grant couldn't pick a better mom to go through it thank with. You. you rock. Your attitude in life is badass. Thank you. Thank you. I can tell that you are the rock of the family, and you and John got a good yeah. thing going. <laughs> and 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 he, um, you know, John told me that he goes, "You're gonna want to talk to Michelle because he's just not cut out for that." And that's yeah. fine. That's what he that's says. Fine, but I appreciate it. You guys are awesome. I got a lot of love for y'all. Thank you so much. To Anytime. The Ronald, thank you so much to you. The Ronald McDonald yes. House, St. Jude's Re- Research Center for Children, Children's Research Center and Hospital, all the doctors, the nurses, the personnel, all of the staff at Ronald McDonald and St. Jude's for what they did for Grant and these other kids that continue yeah. to battle this. It's not fake. It's real life. It, it happens. Life. So let's do what we can to help out. Get involved with Ronald McDonald House Charities, St. Jude's Charities. Give back a little bit, even if it is just a tiny bit. Look into it. Educate yourself on it. And um, I'm glad that I was able to sit down with Michelle here at This Life Ain't For Everybody. And that 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 title rings true. What she went through is not for everybody, but um, that's not what it's about. There's a lot of people that go through it. And thank God that we have people that are compassionate and groups of in organizations that that help out i'm yes. getting emotional now i'm going to cut it off it's a, a great day in oklahoma we're headed to the peanut fields to chase mallard ducks with flatline Woo-hoo. outfitters blue Moore, trey miller thank y'all so much ronald mcdonald house st jude's thank y'all so much and to you and your family thank you well thank you i'm sorry what you had to go through but hey such is life such is life and we're ready for the next step that's right tom before Further ado, please play Leaf Loft and what you're going to do when the money's all gone. Thank you all so much. This has been another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. I'm Chad Belding. Appreciate all the support. Say life on earth won't last that long. And as usual, I want to send a big thank you out to all the support that we've been getting here at the podcast. Uh, Remember, today's episode was brought to you by our friends at the Bone Collector North American Whitetail Championships. Go to the website, nawtc.com or bonecollector.com. Get signed up. Get the details. It's only $300, like I said before at the beginning of this podcast, to get signed up. But... As soon as you sign up, you get a package that's worth over $500 in Tacticam, Gator Cooler Tumblers, Broadheads, a a ton of different things that are going to accessorize your bow, guys. You can't go wrong. It's the North American Whitetail Championships brought to you by Michael Waddell and the Bone Collector Crew. 14 regions across America and Canada. There's two ways to get involved through qualification and the actual championship. And when you get the details, you're going to be like, man, this is a no-brainer. It's going to be fun. It's ethical. It's great for the sport, and it's going to bring deer hunters around the country and Canada together. We're going to unite and make this one for the ages and for many years to come. So again, thank you, North American Whitetail Championships, for supporting This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. I'm Chad Belden. Can't wait to see y'all out in the field.